thanks for having me. I hope you'll bear with me. Um, I'm kind of new to um, PowerPoint. But uh, I'm here tonight in part because earlier this year, several of your members infiltrated one of our RAM clinics. And I have proof. So RAM was uh, started in uh, 1985, and the main purpose of RAM was to provide medical and dental care to people in remote areas that didn't have access. Um, our first RAM clinic was to Mexico, a little tiny village there, and uh, a bunch of physicians and dentists climbed in a rented van and drove down from Knoxville. The, uh, the idea was to practice for these by doing some clinics in the, in the uh, rural areas around Tennessee. And come to find out, there was as much need in Tennessee and Virginia and, and around us uh, as there is overseas. The uh, founder of RAM was a guy named, or is a guy named Stan Brock. And you probably would uh, maybe remember him better um, from this. So Stan was the, the original co-star of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. <clears throat> I graduated from dental school in 1988 and went to practice in a small town north of Knoxville called Maynardville. And we have a lot of patients who are Medicaid patients. And I noticed that the, the parents would bring in the, the kids and they'd sit over in the corner and they'd cover their mouth because when they'd remove their hand, they'd have rotten teeth. And so as a, you know, a, a new dentist with student loans and practice loans, um, there wasn't any way to, you know, to treat them free of charge forever. So the solution came when Stan Brock called me at the office and told me about RAM and asked me to volunteer. That weekend, uh, two guys in a pickup truck showed up with um, three old dental chairs and, and loaded them into the basement of the health department and we spent the next two days extracting teeth. So that was, that was a, a pretty good start. One of our, um, several people have, have asked me what, what we were gonna do now that the uh, Affordable Care Act is in place that we would have nothing left to do. And, and uh, so one of, our, one of our RAM volunteers uh, had this to say about that. His name is Bob Fiella, and he's president of the American Dental Association. Change the disease rate in the population. Community water fluoridation, school-based sealing programs, those are just two examples. And the third is to expand and strengthen the safety net so that patients have a sustainable solution long-term. All these years later, people are still losing teeth in these mountains. I would love to have seen the Affordable Care Act include dentistry for adults, but it didn't. So states are faced with really tough decisions. The states that are looking to expand Medicaid are looking at expanding Medicaid for adults and dental benefits for adults, and it's a very expensive proposition. But a lot of these folks are working, but without access to dental care. Now, the Affordable Care Act has expanded Medicaid almost 84% in the next five years for adults. It's entirely bypassed the adult population for dental needs. This dental divide can't be 
treat it to the point where it doesn't exist. The thing that the Affordable Care Act will do, which is which would be very helpful here, is if states do the Medicaid expansion, about two-thirds of the patients who are here will then be covered uh, for medical care, and they can get primary physicians in their own communities and not come. But it is the case that even in Medicaid, we do not have the access to dental care that we should. Dentistry access, the number of dentists we train, the number of dentists who, you know, are in communities like this, it's not enough. So we ought to be looking at reforms to Medicaid to expand dentistry, and we got to be... And so remote area medical serves as a bridge over the gap of the fractured health care access, and the ACA does not change this. We do a lot of clinics, and when I was preparing for this, I looked back at old pictures, and I think I probably have 15 or 20,000. Um, I won't show all, maybe a third of them, but, <laughs> but uh, this is, this is uh, the one that, that uh, my new friends invaded uh, in the Knoxville uh, Jacobs Building. One of the great things about doing these clinics is you meet some really neat people and, and develop you know, lifelong friendships. We don't just do it in, in auditoriums, we also do it in, in uh, sports stadiums. This is at Lincoln Memorial University. We don't do all of them inside either. Sometimes we have to go to where the patient is. This is under the bridge in Knoxville and there were several families living there without any access. And it was about 20 degrees that day. <clears throat> Another outdoor clinic that we do uh, is what you're seeing here. If you look in the background, the, um, the dark stripe that looks like a road and, and the one below it that kind of looks like a wall, it's, that's sort of what it is. That's the Bristol Motor Speedway, and we do a clinic there every year. So you can go anywhere and, and set these up. We don't uh, stay in the, in the urban areas either. Uh, sometimes we go a long way away. This is a little village called Atka, Alaska, and it's out in the Bering Sea, one of the Aleutian Islands. And we got a call, and they, they the only way to get dental care there is to uh, ship in a dentist and his equipment. And the weather is so unpredictable that sometimes the plane has to be turned away. And the last dentist that had been there had been three years ago, and he, um, his equipment didn't make it. So he sat there, and then the next plane didn't come in, and the next plane didn't come in. He was there two weeks with nothing to do. And I, the only thing to do on this island is to chase uh, reindeer. There's nothing there. So here's another shot of it, and the, the big uh, blue-green building in the, in the middle is where we worked. It was the rec center, so we just set up our clinic right there on the pool table. We also do some disaster relief stuff. This is in New Orleans. Uh, this is actually the five-year anniversary of Katrina. We were there twice before that, and, and in fact, uh, Ram was on the ground before FEMA um, when, when Katrina happened. I love this picture. The, the dentist and his assistant are so happy, and the patient's going, you aren't going to hurt me, are you? <laughs> so wherever we go, people wait. 
This was the line at the, at the first Katrina clinic that we did. And it just went on for miles and miles. And even at the, the Knoxville clinic, you see long lines. People get there at 10 o'clock at night, the night before, to get a number to get seen. <clears throat> Recently, uh, five or so years ago, we had the opportunity to buy a, a transporter for our equipment. And uh, this was a retired auto racing team, the American Le Mans series Mazda factory team uh, was retiring and so we were able to purchase this at a great discount. It's a, it's a double decker, the top uh, layer where they kept the cars, we're able to store 50 dental units, portable dental units. And in the, the downstairs we have um, eyeglass labs that can make up to 300 pairs of glasses a day. That's one of the four stations. So what we do with RAM is we, we provide professionals a way to, to, to do what they want to do, to, a way to help people. Um, th these um, are completely set up by RAM and organized by RAM and the dentists and physicians have to show up and, and work. 45% uh, of attendees haven't seen the dentist in five years or more. And this is a cute picture of the kid, but in reality, these are the people that we see. So when, when Ram shows up and unloads all the equipment, this is kind of what it looks in the extraction area. As you might think, we're pretty good at extractions. Everybody wants to to do them because you can get in there and you remove the tooth and then everybody goes home happy. Um, we're not so good at replacing them until, until recently and making a denture is a long drawn out process. It take, there's a lot of, of manual labor, a lot of uh, pouring things up and waiting and so it's not really practical because we're in and out in two or three days. But recently we, we uh, one of our volunteers has um, invented a denture system that you can actually make a set of dentures. It's a pretty nice set in about uh, 20 minutes an arch. It's, it's amazing. <clears throat> now these two have never been to one of our RAM clinics, but if they had, They might, they might leave looking like that uh, in a minute. Well, there's none right now. So <laughs> you can see what a difference it makes. And that's funny, but, but if you look at these folks and then after, I mean, look at the difference in her eyes. It's not her mouth. This is Scotty Miller. So we don't always do all of our clinics in the U.S. We uh, recently got a call from some volunteers uh, with the Catholic ministry and they have a, a, a village that they take care of in the mountains outside of uh, Port-au-Prince. 
and it just so happened to be uh, the, the epicenter of the cholera outbreak. So they needed doctors, you know, they, they needed uh, a way to get patients out of there. It's an all-day hike to get out. And so we loaded dental and medical supplies in uh, the Ram DC-3 that, that actually dropped troops at Normandy, too. <clears throat> and we also dropped in a few of, of our Ram Air, Airborne volunteers. And some of us took the safe way in. <laughs> so we also took along the lady in the, in the sunglasses is Ann Curry and a film crew from Dateline. They went with us to, to watch. We were able to ride partway up, up the mountain in the back of the truck, but um, up about five miles before the village, we, we couldn't drive any further, so we had to stop and hike. Beautiful scenery, though. And these kids hike back and forth to school. I think they, they hike five miles each way to the little village that most of the time was a real sleepy little village, but twice a week they had uh, uh, the marketplace. And there were 40,000 people within walking distance, and I think half of them came twice a week. This is the, um, the uh, Mador Hilton where we stayed. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it looks pretty, pretty peaceful there until you realize that when I stepped back to take the picture again, we were very popular. We could hardly sleep for them walking around the tents. <laughs> I don't know what they were looking for. <laughs> but here is, here is my dental clinic, and um, you can, it's in the back of the church, and the only lighting is what you can see, the grates over the door and the open doorway. And after about five minutes in there working, all of those patients would move into the doorway. And, and before you knew it, they would be right up against you. Be completely surrounded so you could hardly uh, talk or, or work at all. And then this was our little clinic. So we had the, the portable unit there, and then we had a, a Honda uh, generator. The other thing that, that uh, the... the Ram Airborne guys did was they built a runway so that we could do an air ambulance. And uh, they worked hard at that. You can see some of the work in progress, uh, especially the guy in the red shirt and the yellow shirt were hard at it. But they got uh, $2 a day and uh, breakfast and lunch, which is basically beans and rice. So the runway went well. And um, this tree eventually was cut down. But when the day before we were supposed to leave, uh, they announced the election results, and there was rioting in Port-au-Prince. As we went up to dinner that night, Ann Curry was on the uh, back porch, live on NBC News, saying the situa situation in Port-au-Prince is, is uh, terrible. And there's rioting, they're burning cars and buildings, and um, the, uh, they're, they're targeting healthcare workers. My socks even had RAM logos on them. There was, there was no way to, to uh, go down there. So there was a place on the hill um, 
where you could stand out on a limb and reach out and get cell phone coverage. And we were able to contact a minister that we'd met on the way in, and he arranged for the first landing at the Mador uh, airport. So he took us out and then took us up to the Dominican Republic to get out. So if you want to go ahead and play that. Oh, I'm, okay. That's me then. And this is kind of what we do. One of the decisive issues in the presidential campaign is likely to be health insurance. Texas and Ohio vote on Tuesday, and those states alone have nearly 7 million uninsured residents. Nationwide, 47 million have no health insurance. But that's just the start, because millions more are underinsured, unable to pay their deductibles or get access to dental care. Recently, we heard about an American relief organization that airdrops doctors and medicine into the jungles of the Amazon. It's called Remote Area Medical, or RAM for short. Remote Area Medical sets up emergency clinics where the needs are greatest, but these days, that's not the Amazon. This charity, founded to help people who can't reach medical care, now finds itself throwing America a lifeline. In a matter of hours, Remote Area Medical set up its massive clinic in an exhibit hall for a weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tools for dentists were laid out by the yard. Optometrists prepared to make hundreds of pairs of glasses. General medical doctors set up for whatever might come through the door. Nearly everything is donated. Everyone is a volunteer. The care is free, but no one could say how many patients might show up. The first clue came a little before midnight when Stan Brock, the founder of Remote Area Medical, opened the gate outside the exhibit hall. The clinic wouldn't open for seven hours, but people in pain didn't want a chance being left out. State guardsmen came in for crowd control. They handed out what would become precious slips of paper. Numbered tickets to board what amounted to a medical lifeboat. We brought some snacks and blue blankets. Well, I hope you stay warm. It's kind of chilly tonight. It was 27 degrees. The young and the old would spend the night in their cars, running the engine for heat, but not too much, not at $3 a gallon. At 5 a.m., we took a walk through the parking lot. How long have you been out here tonight? Uh, we got up at 3 o'clock this morning, and we got here about 4 We've been out here for a little while. It's cold. <laughs> Why'd you come so early? Because we wanted to be seen. Marty Tankersley came with his wife and his daughter asleep behind the front seats. You drove 200 miles to get here? Yes, sir. And slept in this parking lot for seven or more hours? Yes, sir. Just to have this done? Yes, sir. I've been in some very excruciating pain. He had an infected tooth that had been killing him for weeks. Most of the people who filled the lot heard about the clinic on the news or by word of mouth, and they came by the hundreds. We're very happy that you're here this morning. We've got a lot of really fine volunteer doctors, dentists, eye specialists. Stan Brock calls Ram Clinic's medical expeditions. He takes all comers, but just for the weekend. When you set up the first expedition in the United States, were you surprised? at the number of people who came. Yes. Yes, I was. 
and the numbers are getting higher. And I don't know if it's because we're getting better known or that the healthcare in this country is getting worse. Who's got number one? Come on down. Number one. Number two. On Saturday at 6 a.m., they entered by the numbers. Number three. Inside, 276 volunteers from 11 states were waiting. Are you here for medical, dental, or vision? When's the last time you had a breast exam by a nurse or a doctor? Never. 20 years. 25 years ago. For those who were diagnosed with cancer today or diabetes or heart disease, Ram will try to find a volunteer doctor who will follow up. Ross Isaacs is one of the doctors. Who are these patients? It's the working poor, middle of their lives, most with families, um, most not substance abusers, um, and employed without adequate insurance. Dr. Isaacs saw Marty Tankersley, the man we met in the parking lot who'd driven 200 miles. It turned out that Tankersley, a few years back, had two heart attacks and heart surgery but almost no follow-up since. So you haven't seen somebody in a while with regards to your ticker and stuff. The Tankersleys live in Dalton, Georgia. They fall in the category of the underinsured. Marty's a truck driver. He has major medical insurance through his employer, but the deductible is $500, really unaffordable. And the dental insurance costs too much. No one really knows just how many Americans are underinsured, like the Tankersleys. He's the lucky one that could drive the 200 miles. He's the lucky one that got to see people today and get hooked in. There are tens of hundreds of thousands of people like him. Marty, his wife and daughter were seen for checkups, glasses, mammograms, and the yanking of that agonizing tooth. This has truly been a godsend to us, to me and my family, and to all the hundreds of people that's here. I see the faces, the relief in the faces. This has been uh, a wonderful thing. This was Ram's 524th expedition. Ram took off in 1992, airlifting relief to Latin America. And at age 71, Stan Brock still flies the antique fleet. That C-47 flew on D-Day. Brock is British by birth, an adventurer at heart. He was a cowboy in the Amazon, and then, incredibly, he was discovered by TV's Wild Kingdom. Brock became a star, sort of a naturalist daredevil. It took only a moment for the situation to totally reverse itself. Today, Brock is devoted to Ram, completely devoted. He has no family, takes no salary, has no home. Brock lives in an abandoned school that the city of Knoxville leases to Ram for a dollar. Until recently, he took showers in the courtyard with a hose. When we see what we've seen over the last weekend, how do you pay for all of that? In the first place, we really know how to stretch the dollar. We operate entirely on the generosity of the American people. I'd like to say that we had big corporate support in America, but we don't. So it's those little checks from those people that send in the $5 and the $10. Ram operates on a shoestring, about $250,000 a year. And yet last year, it treated 17,000 patients. On this Saturday, there was no sign of a let-up. What have you accomplished today? Well, 
uh, we've basically had 600 or so people that have arrived here overnight and we were able to do just about everybody. I think we may have turned away about 15 people who are going to come back tomorrow morning anyway. The next day, Sunday, there were hundreds more. Tickets started again with the number one, but now the doctors were racing time. In hours, they'd be headed home. Who's got 361? 362? 362? 363? We're really glad that you came in. Nurse practitioner Teresa Gardner was worried about Rebecca McWilliams. McWilliams had surgery for cervical cancer in 2005, but without the recommended follow-up. How long has it been? It's been two, about two years since I've had um, my last pap smear, and I was supposed to have every six months, and I've really only had it once since that surgery. You know, I, I think many doctors would say you've taken a terrible risk. Yeah. Waiting this long. I really have, but it's just, like I said, it's very hard to afford it. I have three kids, and my husband lost his job this past summer. McWilliams' pap smear came back clear, but in her exam, Gardner found reason to worry. I think just from, you know, the clinical inspection of the, the cervix that, you know, possibly there is possibility that cancer, you know, still, still being there. She was 28 years old. 28 years old, the mother of three. You've created this medical organization that was designed to go into third world countries, to go into remote places. And now you're doing 60% of your work in urban and rural America. What are we supposed to make of that? That for 50 million or so people in this country, the one thing that is on their mind is what if I have a catastrophic event, uh, a car crash, a heart attack. Because they don't have health insurance. Because I either have no health insurance or I'm underinsured. And, uh, and so this is a very, very weighty thing to be thinking about. Uh, knowing that uh, your family is in great jeopardy. 376, 377, 378, 379, 380. Late on Sunday, Joanne Ford's number was among the last to be called. We found her sitting by a stairwell. And you don't have that? Well, no, not on a Social Security disability income. She's retired, living on disability with no insurance, and her glasses don't work anymore. She got in, only to find out that the vision care line had closed. How is your vision? I bet in my left eye, it's probably, I couldn't see your face. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. But not today. But not today. <laughs> so i got to look for another option. But I'll find one. What are you going to do? Um, I don't know. Um, I have a lot of good friends and I have a lot of church support. I was very active in my church. I have a lot of friends at church. I just hate to ask. I've worked all my life. I hate to ask. That's why things like this are so wonderful. There is no shame in seeking health care. No, you're right. You know, it really... I am sad that we are the wealthiest nation in the world and we don't take care of our own. So, but it will be okay. 
And it did turn out okay, after all. Someone at RAM noticed Joanne's situation. They put her in the vision care line and examined her for a new pair of glasses. If I may have your attention, please. I'm, I'm afraid that we've got some rather disappointing news. But at the gate, many were waiting when the weekend ended. 449 and 450. In the expedition to Knoxville, Ram saw 920 patients, made 500 pairs of glasses, did 94 mammograms, extracted 1,066 teeth, and did 567 fillings. But when Stan Brock called the last number, 400 people were turned away. What's going through your mind when you're reading off the last two or three numbers and you see so many more people at the gate than are going to be able to come in? Yeah, well, the, you know, that's the, uh, that's the lousy part of this, of this job. I mean, it's nice to, you know, to, uh, to be able to uh, know that you've, that you've helped, helped a bunch of people, but the, uh, the reality is that, that we can't do everybody. At the moment, we're just doing the thousands and thousands of people that we can and the rest of them, unfortunately, have got to do the best they can without us. So, thanks for listening. And um, I don't know if we have time for questions or not, but if um, I'll stay afterwards if, uh, if anybody has any questions. So, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Osborne. I was inspired with that self-sacrificing service and it reminded me that 27 years ago on the Amazon River, I pulled my first tooth. <laughs> now, I do need to tell you that story before we summarize. I was 21 years old and working on the Amazon. We were up outside of, outside of Bay Ling. We were about 300 miles up in the jungle on, on the river and I was working with a physician to get my first taste of medical missionary evangelism. And I was there working on the Lucero 6, and uh, as I was working there initially, my responsibility was to lead the patients to the physician. But after a while, the physician was so overwhelmed, he was a doctor, a medical doctor, but we also had to do dental work and a variety of other things. And so he said to me, Mark, young man, I need to teach you how to pull teeth. And so he did. We did not have anesthesia. We sat our patients on a little stool. I put my first patient's head on my knee. I knew two Portuguese words at that time, obra and fecha. Obra meaning open, fecha meaning close. And, and abra, yes. And so, the pastor, today's maze is Brazil. Falando Portuguese a pouco, no muito. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, uh, um, I love Brazil. I've been traveling back there for 28 years. So, anyway, put this lady's head on my knee and told her to open her mouth, which she did, pulled the tooth. The dentist came over to examine my work and he said literally, Mark, that was a beautiful job you did. There is only one problem. You pulled the wrong tooth. <laughs> the next three I pulled, I was a little more cautious and was correct. <laughs> so thank you for instructing us how to do it the right way. I have a question for you as we summarize our seminar tonight. 
I will give you a quote. You tell me who made this quote and when it was made. You ready to go? Back in medical school. Okay, here's the quote. The greatest error in medicine today is that we treat the body and not the soul. When was the statement made and who made it? You're close. Okay. Plato, you've got it. 2,400 years ago, Plato made this observation. The greatest error in medicine today is we treat the body and not the soul. In our seminar during this weekend, we have focused on whole person care. The focus of amen is quite distinctly different than many other medical dental association meetings. Because the purpose of amen is to look at human beings as a whole person and to treat their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. We studied, as you recall, a model in whole care, whole person care, in looking in John, the fourth chapter, and we made three presentations on Jesus and the woman at the well. And we titled those presentations, Applying Jesus Methods in Clinical Care in the 21st Century. And we looked at the seven different statements that Jesus made to that woman. And we looked at research done by the Disney Corporation on Florida Hospital. We reminded you that Florida Hospital has 24 hospitals in this area with 23,000 employees. That Florida Hospital is the number one hospital in the state of Florida, and it has more admissions than any hospital in America today. And one of the things that we have done at Florida Hospital is we invited the Disney Corporation to come in and to do research on patient care. And as that research was done, Disney looked at the seven major questions that every patient has. And I reviewed with you from John chapter four, how Jesus, went through those seven particular points. The first thing Jesus did in John 4 was, gave, give, was to give the woman attention. Every patient desires attention. They want to be more than a commodity, more than a statistic, more than merely a name on your list of patients that day. Jesus gave her attention. Secondly, as you study John chapter 4, Jesus showed the woman respect. He said, would you please get me something to drink? A Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. The Jews and Gentiles had a great conflict, and Jesus said, would you give me something to drink? Jesus showed her utmost respect. Every patient longs for respect. Thirdly, Jesus showed her sympathy. He said, I know you'd like to drink this water, but I have a water for you that's much, much better than this. He showed sympathy for her. He was saying to her, ma'am, I know you're longing for something greater. Fourthly, Jesus gave her hope. 
Here was a desperate, discouraged, downhearted woman. Here was a woman that was longing for something more than she had. And as you study that narrative, Jesus gave her hope. Each patient that comes into your office, each person that comes to your dental chair is looking for some hope. Hope for relief of pain, hope that the diagnosis is not as bad as they thought it was, hope for something better. Jesus offered her hope. Fifthly, Jesus looked at this woman and he discussed very, very openly with her her condition. He told her the truth. He said, you know, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have any husband. Jesus said, I know the man you're living with is not your husband, neither with other those five. Jesus told her the truth. Deep within the heart of every patient, that patient that comes into your office, wondering about whether the lump in the breast is malignant or not, wondering what if they're going to have an operation because of their stomach pain. They want to know truth. They want to know reality. That's the fifth thing Jesus did. Sixthly, Jesus made a transition into the spiritual modality. And we talked about how to make a transition into spirituality with some patients. Remember the phrase we used? Remember that phrase we talked about, offer to all, force none. Offer to all, force none. And we gave some different models of how you might bridge into spirituality. You're talking to a patient, and you may say something like this. I sense, John, that you feel very anxious, very tense about what you are going through. And I can really understand that because I've had some challenges in my life where I have felt unusually tense as well. And, you know, I've wondered what kind of future that I might have. And I've, you know, as a physician, I've faced certain challenges too. And, and you know, as a Christian physician, I've drawn on God for help and for strength. May I pray for you and, and ask God to give you that strength? So one bridge is your own testimony. Another bridge might be saying something like this. You know, John, many of the patients that I talk to really would like somebody to pray with them. I certainly wouldn't want to superimpose or force that upon you, but it, many of my patients really appreciate the fact that I pray with them. Would that be possible for me to do with you? Um, another way to do it is something like this, and you, the Holy Spirit can guide you as you work with your patients. But another way to do it is something like this. You say to your patients, um, you know, as we've talked today, I can sense that you have some real questions about, about this diagnosis. Do you, where do you find your support? Is there somebody or some place you find a lot of support? Because I, I can just sense you're concerned and, and, and you want to share with me about your support base and they begin to talk about it. Does faith play any part of a support for you? Um, do you have a pastor? Some people say, oh yes, I do. Or some people say, no, I don't. May I share with you where I find strength at that period of time? So you can ask a person, where do you find your greatest support at a time like this? And those opportunities prevent open opportunity, present open opportunities to minister spiritually. So the sixth thing that Jesus did is he made that transition into spirituality. But when you look at the seventh thing Jesus did, 
he offered the ultimate solution. He offered a solution. And in the offering of that ultimate solution, which in this case was the Messiah, but when people leave your office, you offer them the ultimate solution of hope so that every patient, and even if the diagnosis is, let's suppose the diagnosis that you have is quite fatal, there can be always bathing that in hope. We gave you a book called The Patient Experience, and this patient experience is the, largely the Disney research and how it's been applied. There are three pages that I wanted you to particularly note, and I will simply review them. Page 26 is a page that I hadn't referred you to before in the patient experience. And in that page, on page 26, there is a chart that I really don't want you to miss. It deals with, you know, Disney's all into acts, acts in the drama. And uh, here are three specific acts. The first phase, the patient says, I'm afraid or I'm certain I'm in pain. The second act, I'm elate, alienated, I'm bored, I'm lonely. Third act, I feel inadequate, unprepared, abandoned. And it shares how you can provide trust, belonging, and hope for those patients. So be sure to take, are there some of you that weren't here during that period of time, did not get a copy of the patient experience? Would you just raise your hand? Wanna be sure that we put a copy of the patient experience in the hand of each of you who do not have one. And so um, if you do not have the patient experience, just raise your hand, keep it up, and some of our ushers will come to you and be sure to put this in your hand. This will be really helpful. Look at page 35 as well. One of the things we emphasized is how to train your staff so that they are sensitive to whole person care. And on page 35, it talks about nurses, doctors, everything from nutritional services, lab technicians, how to train your staff. You'll find that extremely helpful. We need some books in the front row. Thank you very much. And on page 48, uh, there is another helpful section. So use this quite regularly. You'll find it quite helpful in uh, analyzing how to do whole person care. Uh, on page 48, we talk about five service behaviors behind a superior patient experience. What did Disney tell us were the five service behaviors that you can train your staff in be, by an, uh, that communicate an excellent experience? We trust that this seminar has been practical for you and help you, and I end with a story. On an Indian reservation, a young Indian, and this Indian reservation was in the United States, Midwest, young Indian teenager, 17 years old, came into the emergency room in the hospital, little tiny hospital, with a broken arm. The emergency room physician treated him, reset the arm, and casted the arm. The young boy went home. About two days later, the emergency room physician in that little community was well known, of course, was in a general store. The leader or chief of the tribe came in, and he said to the emergency room physician, I am very disappointed in you. And the emergency room physician said, look, I don't understand. I am a skilled physician 
and the arm was set correctly. And the leader of the tribe said, yes, it was, but you will see the boy again. And he went to walk away. And the physician walked after him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, please explain to me what you mean. And he said this, you cured his broken arm, but you didn't heal the boy because you never discovered why he broke his arm. I was in the home two days later and discovered that the boy's father came home drunk. He was beating the boy. The boy jumped on his bike and was so afraid of the father that he was riding as fast as he could down the hill, hit a bump, fell off the bike and broke his arm. You did a great job doc, in healing the boy's arm, in curing the boy's arm. You did a very poor job in healing his heart. Medical missionary work, following the ministry of Jesus Christ, looks at more than broken arms. It looks at broken hearts. It looks at more than shattered bones. It looks at shattered souls. It looks at more than decayed teeth. It looks at decayed spirits. And the medical missionary work of Jesus Christ ministers hope and encouragement and the joy of knowing Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, Thank you for a group of godly men and women, doctors and dentists who have a deep commitment to giving hope to the hopeless, to ministering possibilities to those who struggle with the impossible. Thank you that you've called us to something broader and deeper than one-dimensional ministry to the body. Thank you that you've called us to holistic health, to ministering to bodies and minds and souls. Thank you that the great physician modeled forgiveness and freedom from guilt and the magnificence of his love and the joy of eternity. Thank you that we hear the echoes of the one that said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. As we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're thankful, so thankful, that we have something worth living for, that medicine has a purpose, a divine purpose, an eternal purpose, and we commit ourselves to that in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.